Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. And if you want to pick up the phone and call us right now, you can do that. Dr. Franklin Weefald is here. Hello, sir. Hello. The t- I love the Jim Jingle. That's uh, all it's from fun. Dave. It's, it's awesome. Fun. It's fun. Uh, 919-860-9783 is our number. 919-860-9783. We're going to start today's show with Rose Hoban, who is with a group called North Carolina Health News. And Rose, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're able to spend some time with us. Hey. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Have you? Your website is focused exclusively on North Carolina and health. Has have you been busy? Oh my gosh, our readership has almost tripled in the past two months. It's been a little bit crazy. Well, we um, yeah, rightly so. Our output. Yeah, rightly so. You guys do a great job. Oh well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. On the site now, you're you're mentioning that uh, there have been a number of late week announcements of openings and late week announcements of of um, warnings. But I, I'm particularly interested in the fact that on the website right now it says that the Department of Health and Human Services announced first time outbreaks of COVID nineteen and six North Carolina nursing homes, along with twelve unannounced deaths are you having at all uh, a hard time finding out a total of people who were in a senior living community and who then later died well um i was part of a group of publications north carolina health news was part of a group of publications and we did threaten to sue the state over this information and um they uh, we didn't have to file suit because once this consortium of news outlets uh, you know, made the threat, uh, the state came through and they you know, said that uh, they were willing to release the names. I, I will say that I, I had heard concerns from local health authorities in specific, in specific counties. You know, I've been doing... I've been covering healthcare in North Carolina for 15 years. Oh wow! And so I've I've met a lot of people, and so I was getting phone calls from local health authorities who are involved in regulating nursing homes, and um, and you know I had at least one person saying to me, "This is really a conundrum for us. If we make it public that you know uh, Happy Acres Nursing Home." has had an outbreak and that, uh, you know, 16 people have tested positive for COVID. And, you know, the next thing you know, you have news trucks and a helicopter flying over and news trucks parked out front. There's very little incentive for the nursing home owners to actually go ahead and test. So we don't want to alienate them. But at the same time, we really want to bring attention to this. And and that, I, I you know, talking to folks at the state, they... They mentioned similar things, but I think as the as a consortium of news organizations, we came down on the side of you know transparency, uh, um, yeah, uh, accountability. You know, like sunshine is the best disinfectant, right? So 
you know, we, we pushed them and they, they came out and they, they, they did start announcing what the specific, uh, facilities are that have had outbreaks. And then my reporter, Tommy Goldsmith, who covers aging issues, I say my reporter, I work with a, a, a whole staff, staff of freelancers, but they're all folks who have long experience in uh, either journalism or specifically writing about healthcare. And Tommy used to be at the News and Observer, and he has spent 20 years focusing on aging issues, so he really knows this stuff cold. And Tommy went out and dug through, once we had the names, he dug through a federal database, um, and we could see pretty clearly that many of the nursing homes that had outbreaks were ones that had had staffing issues in the past. Let me, let me just uh, ask you a question, because I've not been able to get the answers. The case rates are still going up in North Carolina, and the death rates are still going up. Have you been able to find out what percentage of what we're seeing now is uh, nursing home-based and, and prison-based? Because I'm trying to find out that information. Have you been able to? Well, if you go to the, um, the state's data website, it's pretty good. Um, it's uh, Let me see. I'm just pulling it up on my computer now. It's COVID-19 dot ncdhhs dot gov slash dashboard and if you go on here you can see for example today we're at 652 deaths and then if you scroll down you can look and see by congregate living and you can see that oh it is a shocking 344 of those what was it 652 deaths is are, we're, we're in nursing homes yeah. specifically. And well, you know, I, at Johnson Memorial, or uh, excuse me, UNC Johnson Health, um, mm-hmm. they have about 10 people in the ICU on ventilators, and most of those are from uh, congregate facilities. They have one patient in their 80s who's been on a ventilator for 30 days. Oh, so I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is now... Um, coming to the forefront, uh, the nursing homes, and I guess the politically correct term is congregate facilities. But what about prisons? I mean, I'm really concerned about the prison population. And what's happening there? What's your information that you have? Well, we have been uh, trying to also cover the prisons um, in correctional facilities. I I will say congregate, the the reason why they say congregate living settings is that it's a lump sum term that encompasses nursing homes, residential care facilities, correctional facilities, and other, right? Because we have all kinds of licensures in this state covering folks who live together. There's adult care homes, uh, and there's family care homes, which are fewer than six, and adult care homes, which are more than six, and, you know, uh, homes for folks with disabilities. But anyway, um, but I digress. What we're finding out about correctional facilities is that, um, you know, it has been, it's been a struggle to get, uh, information out of them. Um, we've heard some, there was a, a, a lawsuit filed by a number of inmates in the North Carolina correctional yeah. system who, uh, and we read through the affidavits and reported on that. And, you know, they talked about uh, not having enough uh, hands or not having hand sanitizer because, of course, the fear is that since it's alcohol-based, folks can drink it. So they, yeah. they don't, they, yeah. they've Limited that um, availability, but I think they're coming to the point where they're making it a little more available. Um, 
I just want to break in here. I have a, a practice of about 6,000 patients, and mm-hmm. I've had one coronavirus positive case, one. And it was mm-hmm. at Springbrook. Um, I think Springbrook's going to be angry at me for saying this, but he was at Springbrook. Um, and, you know, he was 80. No, I'm sorry, he's 92, heart failure. Uh, really great, great guy. And mm-hmm. um, he died at Wake Med um, of COVID. And so I'm really emphasizing here that the congregate populations, I think, are the ones that are really at risk now. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, you know, obviously there's a a certain amount of risk. And I guess this kind of goes to this whole advice that they're giving, that the state is giving about people being indoors and being close together, right? Well, Um, you know, the crazy thing is, is that I think they should take people not and not put them in their home where they're going to infect everybody in the family. That's what Chris Cuomo did. He infected his son and he infected his wife. We've got to find some quarantine centers. Um, I really yeah. believe this um, and see what happens And because I, we can handle this the way Taiwan did. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar. They've only had six deaths out of 23 million people. But they did it differently, and they did it because they knew China was lying. And um, it worked. And I'm really worried about the next epidemic. Uh, and I'm worried about a bad flu season. Yeah. Um, but at least. I think a lot of people are worried about that. Yeah, but at least they're all vaccinated for the flu. It's a rule. You can't right, live exactly. there. Right. You can't exactly. live there without it. That's why we probably it's, don't see as many flu deaths. It's interesting you say about quarantine centers. You know, um, uh, I uh, on Thursday I was able to drive down to Richmond County where the state is renting what is now a shuttered hospital. Um, yeah. Hill, it used to be Sandhills Regional Medical Center. And um, as, as an overflow, um, which has not been needed because we've done a really good job of flattening the curve and whatnot, but the thing was that the local authorities didn't want COVID-positive people there. Yeah. So there is the NIMBY factor. Like, where do you put folks into a quarantine. Now, look, if you go into a hospital ICU right now, they have people segregated by COVID and non-COVID, and they've got people all on one end of the corridor or in one wing, and all the COVID people are there. And uh, um, it was really interesting. UNC had, uh, made a, available a nurse to talk about how her practice is. So the nurses work in pairs, and uh, one nurse is outside the quarantine zone, and she takes notes and you know, and then the other nurse is inside, and so she's able to circulate, and she doesn't have to switch off her PPE. Wow. And uh, she can go from room to room, and then she goes back and sort of stands six feet away from her colleague and says, can you get me this supply? Can you take these notes? Uh, you know, I need this for this patient. Yeah. I uh, think, can we get a lunch, right? And, yeah. I think uh, in the future, think, you're going to see um, the development of hospitals where you can seal off certain parts of the hospital in a separate ventilation system. And Mm -hmm. so you'll be able to open doors and close doors and flip switches so that you have an isolation ward that's large enough. And and right now, um, I think they're all doing a great job when you consider. Yeah. And and we I think we've got to take uh, our break here. Listen, come back. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And it, we'll, it, it we'll make arrangements. Pleasure. Yeah. And I really want to talk more in the future about exactly what you guys do 
in terms of getting the health news out because it's a fantastic thing. That's what we're trying to do here. I want every. I thank you, thank you, Rose. We're, I want everybody to go to North Carolina Health News. It is a nonprofit, and there are buttons on the website that say subscribe now to the newsletter and donate now, upper right hand corner, and you can uh, help them out. Yeah. North Carolina Health News dot org. You're welcome. Have thank a great you. Day. All right. It's been a pleasure. Bye bye. I want her to. Bye bye. I want. Rose Hoban in North Carolina Health News to get some economic benefit. Shout out. For a shout out every now and then. Listen, we're going to talk about on this show the difference between virus and a bacteria. You know, with my children, we just called them Tweedlebugs. Yeah, well, there are Tweedlebugs. There really are there. Well, the reason why I say this is that I just saw an article where they did a survey and 92% of Americans had no idea that a bacteria and a virus were different things. Where do you so, go to that And school? this is important to know because it has implications on how we treat things. There's a vaccine in the works, and it, according to Dr. Weefald, this could crack open a lot of great things. This could not solve just, a lot. Not just for coronavirus. Solve a lot of problems. Kawasaki disease. Now we get, we get the, the virus from Wuhan, and now we've got uh, the Kawasaki disease. Yeah. And uh, we need to find out about that and a lot more on this episode of Heart Health Radio. Please do me a favor. Call us up if you've got a health question, COVID or not, 919-860-9783 on the Heart Health Radio Network. And, of course, Evelyn Champagne King and her classic hit, Shame. The Hall of Shame today includes the whom? The Atlantic Magazine. Now, when I was a kid and I was a liberal, I used to look forward to the Atlantic. Um, yeah. Very good writing. Uh, unfortunately, they're contributing, I think, to the hysteria that is seen in some of these liberal socialist magazines. Because when Kemp decided to open up three weeks ago, and he did it two weeks ago, this is the Georgia governor? Yes. Right. Yes. Not Jack Kemp, the football player, but Governor Kemp. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of flack. And the worst, most shameful thing was said by the Atlantic Magazine. And they said that he was practicing human sacrifice. I mean, think of that. The governor yeah. would be like a Mayan king taking people out of the jungle, cutting their heads off, and then roll down the, the temple. Because he was... He was opening up. Opening up. Okay. And that it was just clear we should shut down till the November, which is the election. And and otherwise, people are going to die. And what do they say? One death is too many. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But anyway, so they've opened up in yeah. two weeks. How did it work I out? urge you, Google Georgia COVID graphs. And the graph shows new cases have almost disappeared. So... There's, that's not to say, and I, I was wrong before, I may be wrong again, that there won't be clusters of hot spots that open up. But I think we know how to deal with them. We rush to them, we quarantine people, we test, 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 and yeah. we track exposures. And I think that's going to work. But Georgia is not practicing human sacrifice. They're that's a good not. thing. Thank you. That's the headline for today. Lee in Chapel Hill. How you doing, Lee? What's going on? Dave, Dr. Weevil, um, hey. 
Hey. I, I remember you said about three weeks ago that cigarette smoke kills coronavirus. I hadn't heard anything whatsoever on that since then. Can you shed some light? I'm not sure that I caught the phrase in the middle there. Are you talking about a pill? Lee? Dr. Weevo said cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke. Yes. Oh, you know what? I, I wanted to talk about this. It's not that it, he didn't say that it killed the coronavirus. Think, he said that there's uh, a let me tell you what I possibility. Think. Okay. Now, President Trump got a huge, huge spanking by the press no. for suggesting that disinfectants may have some help. So, of course, they all said, he's drinking Clorox. You're recommending drinking Clorox. They lied and said there are all these poisonings from this. But anyway, maybe, just maybe. A disinfectant can help. Now, when you look at what smoke does, I mean, Uh smoke kills bacteria. They've Uh proven this. So they think, or one group thinks it might be nicotine. So they're slapping patches on people in the ICU. Sure. My supposition, and again, it's a supposition, it's a theory. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I think the smoke kills the virus in your nose. Now, when I smoke, no matter what I do, it gets in my nose. Sure. Okay, I got a smoky voice today, and I think that's what it is, and I think we should study it. Because what else are they studying? Everything. Listerine. No, Listerine. Now, yeah. think about it. Mouthwash. Yeah. yeah. It's a topical disinfectant, and we know that COVID has to enter through the respiratory tract. Mm-hmm. It binds to a certain protein in your schnoz and in the back of your throat. The schnoz is a weefald term for nose. Right. Anyway, so maybe he's right that we can think about topically disinfecting the nose and the mouth to maybe not prevent it completely from coming. But let me tell you, look at it on the the graphs are impressive. Okay. Smokers have a much, much lower risk of getting this illness. This is not a suggestion that people begin smoking because it's awfully hard to stop. But I will say this. Okay. There yeah. are other situations where smoking protects you, at least for a short period of time. I heard Parkinson's. Yeah. And also, the big thing in cardiology is if you get a stent yeah. and you use Plavix, now we go to other medications now, because Plavix is a pro drug. Yeah. And cigarette smoke induces the conversion of the pro drug Plavix to the active drug. So the truth is, if you get a stent, you have a 10% lower risk of having that stent clot if you're a smoker. Now, people aren't allowed to say this because, obviously, you should never promote smoking. Right. But what I'm trying to say is that we may have a way to help prevent this by topically disinfecting your nose and your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how it's done. Right. Okay, so suppose they find what it is in smoke that does it. Well, aerosolize it. What if they find out what's in Listerine that does it? Or maybe just Listerine does it. But these are things we need to look into. Mary from Durham, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Yes. Um, hi, Mary. Hi. Uh, I have, I can't call them the hot flashes because a flash sounds too short a time, but I have a intense heat and sometimes intense cold. It's a problem, and I'm telling you, it's a bigger problem than people want to admit. I, are, I, I, it's it's tough. What were you going to say? Uh, are you tempted to ask Mary's age? Uh, 
No. No? Because okay. I suspect, Mary, you've been through menopause a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the doctors always, always just want to say it's, it's hot flashes from hormones. And let me tell you, that's just not it. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's one of the most frustrating things for me. Um, I've had hot flashes due to heart disease, uh, coronary artery disease. The, mm-hmm. the sweatiness and the diaphoresis, especially in women, can be a sign of it. Now, I don't want you to think I'm diagnosing you with, with a heart problem. But it could be in other individuals who have what we call the medical term profuse diaphoresis or hot flashes. You don't necessarily have to sweat either, but a lot of times people sweat real hard. Now, thyroid problems can do it, both high and low. Um, Other uh, problems, pituitary tumors can excrete more hormone than they're supposed to. Um, I had someone just the other day that I finally found out why she was having hot flashes. And it took me a month, but she has an infection in her heart valve. Uh So the key thing is to find a doctor who's patient. Most doctors don't want to spend five or six visits figuring it out. Right. But find a doctor who is willing, and an internal medicine doctor or endocrinologist, and good luck. Mary, thank you. Hold on just a moment. We'll let you talk to him during the news. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation, and enjoy the ukulele music on Heart Health Radio, Saturdays at noon on the Heart Health Radio Network. I wish people could see me. I wore yeah. my <laughs> tropical shirt yes. in honor of yes, the you new did. jingle. Good for you. Um, we are going to talk about the difference between a virus, bacteria, and germs. Well, they're both germs. You, they're both germs? Germ is a, a long, uh, it's, it's just a general term. I never knew this. Something that can infect us. And so there's two types. There's okay. parasites, okay, uh, paramecium and things like that. Sure. We're not going to talk about that because no, no. I was concerned. I want my listeners to know the difference between a bacteria and a virus. So I'll just give two examples. The strep throat is a bacteria, and that is an organism that can live on its own. Yeah. So it's got little engines inside that produce energy. It's generally mobile on its own. Um, it gets into your throat where it absorbs nutrients and grows. And as it grows, the waste products can cause pain and inflammation and degeneration of your tissues. Mm-hmm. It's got DNA and proteins and fats and carbohydrates. Now, a virus is a funny thing. All it is is DNA. Excuse me. Some are RNA. They don't have any DNA. Some are DNA that make RNA. Some are DNA that don't make RNA. But they're just proteins and nucleic acids, which are the um, genetic material that, that have a program how to produce these proteins that make up the structures. Right. Now, they can't live on their own. They are pure pieces of chemicals that get in you, and that's how they reproduce themselves. They reproduce themselves in your tissues. There are even viruses that infect bacteria. Those are called bacteriophages. So the difference is a a bacteria is an animal. Well, it's not an animal, but it's like a little animal that has its own stuff to reproduce, and it reproduces on its own. A virus is a bag of chemicals 
They happen to be the chemicals that create life, DNA, RNA, and proteins. Yeah. They get into you. They inject their DNA or RNA, the, the chemical blueprints for life, and they use your stuff to make themselves. And then generally the way that they, they – after they've made a bunch of copies of themselves is they burst your own cell and right. get out. So nobody really knows what these things, why these things exist. But let me tell you, I did these experiments when I was at Duke and when I was at Princeton. Mm-hmm. We have DNA and RNA in our bodies permanently from viruses. Okay. And so they are weird. Now, it's it was relatively easy to develop antibiotics against bacteria all sorts of things to kill them with. So penicillin prevents the outer wall structure. It would be as though your bones covered your outer body and the antibiotic prevents the bone from forming and you just burst. There are other antibiotics that prevent the bacteria from making protein. They work on the DNA. So it was relatively easy for us to make antibiotics which don't kill viruses. They only kill bacteria or they kill fungi. So that was what's so hard about developing an HIV medication. We had no experience with it. We had no way of killing them except by interfering with their ability to make their genetic material inside of somebody's cell. It's a miracle that we came up with these medicines for HIV. Now notice they don't kill, they don't eliminate HIV. Right. They suppress it so low that you can't detect it and your immune system is okay. So remdesivir, that is like a medicine used to treat AIDS. It prevents the ribonucleic acid, the RNA, which is the genetic blueprint for the virus, it prevents it from growing. And that's why it works. And it didn't work with Ebola. It didn't work with HIV. But it now works at least a little bit. It reduces the length of time that you're sick. That's the study that's recently come out. So a virus is just a small bag of chemicals that gets in you and reproduces itself inside of you. A bacteria is much larger, although you still need a microscope to see it. A lot of viruses, you can't even see in a microscope. You have to use an electron microscope to really, really magnify it. They're different. Amoxicillin won't work on the flu. The flu is a virus. And and all those viruses, including the ones that are included in the coronavirus category, right. coronavirus is, is a category a, that includes the common cold. Common cold. You can't get an antibiotic for it. Right. But maybe, yeah. and we're going to talk about this next, Yeah. what has happened in the rush to to develop treatments for COVID may be expandable to all sorts of illnesses in the future. Okay, what are they doing to create a vaccine? Well, the vaccine. It's not really a vaccine. Well, let me, let's first, what is a vaccine? Okay? I don't know. I didn't go let me to tell you. school. Well, I went to vaccine school. Okay. And what they do is they find out a, a marker on the outside of the virus, a certain protein which helps create the bag yeah. of the bag of chemicals. Yeah. That's usually what attaches to your cell. And that's usually what your body recognizes as a foreign invader, and it develops an antibody. Now, antibody is a protein. It's Y-shaped. 
It's got the the y, the top of the Y is hanging out, bind to this protein, and then the bottom of it is an attachment for your immune cells, the T cells, to eat them up and kill them. Yeah. So there's some amazing things now called monoclonal antibodies. And we've talked about this before. You can create a human antibody in a Petri dish. It was developed, and I happened to be one of the students for a guy, who one of the guys who developed. We talked about this before, Nick Cowan. It's a drug now. And monoclonal antibodies are the drugs that are like Humira. You've probably heard of that, that are used in rheumatoid arthritis. They block the proteins that overproduce inflammation. So they're using these rheumatoid arthritis drugs in COVID patients who are very sick because the virus doesn't kill you. It induces your own body to kill you by overinflaming. I take a monoclonal antibody for cholesterol. It prevents the cholesterol in my body from raising up. Now what they've done is they said, why wait for a vaccine that we have to take a protein, injected your body, and have your own body make the monoclonal, make the antibody? They have developed an antibody just through the, through the lab. And they purified it, and a monoclonal antibody means it grows only in one form. You get billions of the same antibody, and you inject it in somebody. And there is a – I should have done a shout-out for this, for this uh, company. It's Sorrento. And Sorrento makes monoclonal antibodies. They were able to produce one against COVID. And they've got billions and billions of them now, and they're testing them. You get a pen injector under the skin, yeah. you push a button, and billions of these antibodies are immediately put into your system to fight the virus. And it looks like so far, at least in initial experiments, it's working. So what is this? This is an auto vaccine. It is a way to give yourself what your body has not made yet. Mm-hmm. And boom. Now, think about this. We talked about this earlier, the flu. We always guess what the flu is going to be. There are different flus, H1N1, H3N4. Well, what if you had a bunch of antibodies on the shelf for every single one of these? So you get your vaccine. It doesn't correct them all. You go to your doctor. He jabs you in the butt with this this pen injector. Yeah. And who knows? They got to test it. But I think this may be great. You know, we're hearing about all these bacteria. It works against bacteria, too, because bacteria have these proteins on their cells that we kill. Remember, before antibiotics, a strep throat would last about a month. But your body would eventually develop enough antibodies to kill it. So now we have all these these superbugs. Remember that term? Yeah. It was a superbug. No antibiotics will kill it. Yeah. Well, let's develop some monoclonal antibodies in an injectable form that will immediately cover the darn thing with these signals for your T cells, your killer cells, to go kill them. Right. So, go ahead. we got to pick up with Bill, who's been waiting through this. Bill, did you understand everything on there? Hello. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Um, hanging in there. Did Good. you understand everything the doctor said? No, because I'm concentrated on what okay. I'm going to ask. Okay. Right, well, let, me do, let me just tell <laughs> also, you. Also, because it's a lot to take in. I do not understand any of it, but I'm glad he does. Isn't that a good thing? Yes. I so thought Bill, I explained it You well. explained it beautifully. For someone with a science background, uh, they probably got that. Oh, well. All right, Bill and Raleigh, what's going on? 
I wanted to ask the doctor, how long does a bovine valve last? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, what's a bovine valve? Bovis is cow. I have yes. a cow, by the way. His name is Kanye. He's a uh, he's a great cow. Anyway, um, so what it is instead of a mechanical valve, which is what it says, made out of metal, yeah, and it's made out of titanium, and they use these because they generally don't break down. Well, a bovine valve is made out of the sack of a cow of a cow's heart, called yeah, pericardium, and then they treat it, sort of tan it. You know how tanning makes the leather permanent, yeah. So they treat it with special chemicals. I don't even know what these chemicals are. That makes it a permanent substance that is not just – it's the old tissue that's been cured. And then they take some metal struts and they ingeniously wrap these these cured pericardial tissues around the struts and then they stick it in your body. Now, it's made out of biological tissue. So th- the concept was it doesn't last that long. It doesn't last as long as, say, a mechanical valve. The St. Jude valve is what we call it. Guess what? Hmm. They're lasting a lot longer than we thought. Bill, do you have one? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, three and a half, this October will be four years since I had it done. A doctor tried to put in a ring, and, and I had too much of a calcium uh, build up, yeah. So he had to go to a uh, uh, a bovine. You either right. get a pig or a cow valve, or if you can't, if that's not uh, acceptable, then they go to a mechanical. Right. So I I've got one, and and the doctor was uh, I get during the the pre op uh, interview. I talked to him, and he said, you know, uh, without any operation, your lifespan, and then with a ring, and then with a, a valve and then with a mechanical valve and each one kind of descends much further uh how long of a good life you're going to live i mean you know what i'm talking about good life not you know just just getting along well it must have been a mitral valve is that right it is yeah i could guess because of the ring a lot of times they try to repair the valve, so they take the tissue that's that's floppy and they cut it and and they sew it together and they put a ring to hold the whole thing on. Right. Sounds like that one's going to work. Right. Um, how can I ask how old you are? I know that sometimes is a problem. Yeah. So did they offer you the St. Jude valve and be on a blood thinner, warfarin, and all that stuff? They make you pick, or did they pick? They picked. Yeah. Because, uh, they put me on warfarin because it, it's uh, it inhibits. Uh, uh, four different enzymes. Right. So I was on warfarin for a while. Yeah, they wait to wait to see the, the tissue itself gets covered by human tissue. So if I were to go in there with a a light bulb and a and a you know a camera, it would look like you know it was covered with human tissue. Yeah. Now the mitral valve bioprostheses that are called because they're biological and a prosthesis like your leg prosthesis, a heart prosthesis. Yeah. They don't last as long theoretically because. An aortic valve, that doesn't see as high a pressure. Remember 120 over 80? Yes. That's your blood pressure. Yes. So when the heart pumps, the mitral valve absorbs 120 uh. because it's got to close to make the blood flow out the aortic valve. So right. the aortic valve absorbs 80 because it closes with a lower pressure. And so they generally seem to think they don't last as long. But let me tell you something. I got a guy who's had a bovine pericardial prosthesis for 22 years, and he's doing great. I had another lady who got it infected, so it didn't last very long. So I'm sure you're practicing strict 
antibiotic techniques before your teeth are worked on, before you have a colonoscopy? Because I think that's the biggest risk for people in making these valves not last long. What's that? Is getting them infected. Okay. Your Your teeth. teeth, Yeah, your teeth. uh, Colonoscopy. I think the colonoscopy is really bad. I mean, in terms of the risk. All right, let me ask you this. Yeah. I'm, I'm experiencing some uh, difficulty with my left leg. What's wrong? Uh, especially between, like, my hip and my knee. I had a meniscus removed uh, probably about 8 to 10 years ago and uh, in my left knee. And right now, I'm experiencing, like, pain and, and discom- real sharp pain and discomfort in my left thigh. Uh, and sometimes it goes down into my foot. I want to know if that's like circulation problems because I noticed that in that area I'm having a, an increasing number of varicose veins. I mean, my veins are starting to stick out. Sure. And I'm not worried about the looks of it. I'm just worried about the circulation and, sure. and the heart's pumping. I want to know if, yeah. if the heart is in it, it's incurring some difficulty uh, with the circulation. Right. So, you know, you might think, well, I got this valve. It may not last that long. My leg hurts, and the heart pumps to the leg, so maybe it's the valve problem. Doesn't the, doesn't the aorta run all the way down? Oh, yeah. So, knee? yeah, it goes down to your legs. Now, let me let me just say you're, you're exactly thinking correctly. Okay. Is this a mechanical problem with the bones? Is it a circulation problem? Now, yeah. the artery feeds the red blood directly from the heart and the aorta to all the tissues in your body, including your leg. Yeah. So... Is it an, a a flow two problem? Now the veins, you got two or three arteries in the leg. You got tons of veins. They flow back the blood that's already been used up in terms of oxygen and nutrients. Now you got varicose veins. What does that mean? It means that they're getting kind of silly. They don't want to stay taut to help the blood flow back. So right. you could have one of three problems. You could have a mechanical problem with your hip, bone, or knee. That could shoot all the way because it hurts all the way down. You could have a vein problem where the vein flow is sluggish. Usually you don't just have varicose veins. You have big fat legs that just swell. Or you could have a problem with getting the blood to your legs. So what I would do is go see your doctor, a cardiologist or a vascular surgeon will do very simple tests to find out if it's a circulation problem. Okay. In June, I I go see my cardiologist. Anybody. Uh, Where you live at? Raleigh. Oh, yeah. I mean, tell you, pick up, you know, call Wake Med, call um, uh, Rex. They're all good. I, like I said before, um, I'm not here to promote my practice. I have a practice that's great in my impression, but there's all sorts of good guys here. Well, I have uh, Dr. Silver's my... He's a great uh, guy. Dr. Silver Mark. mainly mm-hmm. does pacemakers. Uh, he's really good at it. He puts mm-hmm. in defibrillators. He puts in pacemakers. But I think people at his group... Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know if he does these tests. It's called a venous Doppler and an arterial Doppler. And that means it measures the flow and the amount of blood in your leg. He may do that. Um, I just know uh, Dr. Silver from my time in at Weight Med putting pacemakers in. Yeah. Bill, thank you. God bless you and good luck. Stay thank in you. touch thank with you. us. Thank you. Stay uh-huh. in touch if you, you have yeah, something to change. Let us know what you found out. Always interested. I think Lee was a repeat customer. Yep. Um, from earlier in the show, telephone number 919-860-9783. I know, look at the clock. Amazing. Thanks to Lee Bill, Rose Hoban of North Carolina 
Health News, and, of course, Mary in Durham. I want to get those shout-outs on the radio because we're coming back and we're going to do shout-outs. And, yeah. and as much as we can talk about, we will on this radio show called Heart Health Radio, where you get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and On the shout-out portion of the program, we make a big deal of people who are just doing amazing things. Who? Well, is I, on you know, the I talked to list. Mary, uh, the caller, after, yes. well, during the commercial, I'm going to set her up. Yeah. But I found out she's in her 90s. Isn't that oh fantastic? My. So I'm going to shout out two groups of people. The fastest growing age population in my practice is 100-year-olds. There are 50,000 100-year-olds in the United States of America. You know how many there were in 1900? I have no idea. None? 320. Really? Okay. And let me tell you, the other thing that we shout out is that all these 100-year-olds are surviving COVID. And why is that? I predict they're going to find out it's because they have less inflammation. Inflammation ages you. It wears your body out. Yeah. So they're capable of fighting off things without overproducing inflammation. So if they've survived to 100, and most they've 100, mastered yeah. it. Most 100-year-olds yeah. are mobile, are doing things. And yes. why is that? Because they got the genes to prevent senescence. And that means the aging of the body and the body stays together. Right. Shout out to our 100-year-olds and shout out to our 90-year-olds. Excellent. There yeah. is a 108-year-old woman yeah. who sur- in England who England. survived the Spanish flu. And, she got it. And, and she survived it. And? Survived the coronavirus. Isn't amazing. that great? God is good. Now, before we go, um, one of the reasons why some people are saying we should shut down until after the election yes. <laughs> is because one death is too many. Now, I think that people don't realize people die every day in this country. Now, am I saying it's good that they die? Of course not. I mean, we don't want people to die. But let's talk about one death too many. Heart disease, 647,000 deaths last year. But interestingly, during the lockdown, cut it by 40%, most likely due to decreased inflammation from decreased sharing of everyday viruses. Mm -hmm. Stay locked down. We could save hundreds of thousands of lives. Uh, freshwater snails kill 10,000 people a year. I did not know that. Is it, is it that they choke on them or they're I, allergic? I don't or, do, know. or do they gang up I and no knock idea. people down while they're fishing? I, have no idea. I don't know. Falling down the s- stairs. Yes. 12,000. Drowning in bathtubs, 14,000. Here's one people know 32,000 in cars. Yeah. Um, influenza killed 65,000 last year, almost as many as in COVID. Now, constipation. Do you have any idea? People get constipation. And it's just normal constipation. Yeah, yeah. 3,000. Well, what? Yeah, because it, they can't poop. And no. It, it's no. a rock. Yeah. And it blows open their colon and they die. Now, here's my favorite one. I don't know how to prevent that. Uh I, no, never mind. Keep going. Put Miralax go to, go to in the, next the water. One. Next one. How many people die by getting hit in the head by a falling coconut? And this is in the United States. Too many. 150. So we could chop down all the palm trees, and that would be really good. Bee stings, 100. Yeah. Um, and get to murder. Murder is 15,000 in the United States of America. Yeah. Now, of course, some people are going to take away our guns. Half of those murders 
7,500 are gang-related. So we could keep the gangs by law yeah. to stay at home. Now, they Quarantine. stayed at home to prevent the coronavirus. But And there were so many few gang deaths. Well, now they're opening up again, and people are dropping in Chicago, and it's a crime. Literally. I'm, oddly crime. enough, I'm willing to pay for the video games yeah. in that circumstance. If they're going to stay home, I mean, yeah. watching the video But games. here's the thing I'm trying to say, is yeah. not to make fun of all these other ways of dying. Yes. We will not prevent death by opening up again. We will possibly have more deaths than we want Mm -hmm. but think of what's going to happen we have a country that needs people at work and -hmm. if you have 38 million people out of work that's no rent that's no money to buy groceries think of the uh, suicides and the anxiety and the health risks so there's got to be a balance and and i'm not smart enough to know for sure how to do this But I do know there is a balance, and we can find it. This has been Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.